and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lenny. And this week we're going to talk about camp. We're going camping with trucks. We're, we watched Maximum Overdrive. We watched it. So we'll talk about it in a second, okay. but before we get there, how was your week? Um, actually, my week was interesting. I had a really interesting time. I saw a lot of, I spent a lot of time watching movies this week. Mm. All of them were better than Maximum Overdrive. That's never that. Um, all of them were interesting than Max, more interesting than Maximum Overdrive. I'm, I'm not sure why this film exists, other than I think Stephen King probably thought it was an easier job. I think that's than, probably right. <laughs> and he probably was still very upset that Stanley Kubrick. I just have this. I imagine that he's watching The Shining, going, "That's not my book," and well. I can be a director, too. And then he tried it, and it didn't work well. It didn't work out. Now, this movie, I believe, exists due to cocaine and money. Right. So the the, the potent combination of cocaine and dollars. Uh, so, so how was your week before we begin getting on cocaine and dollars? Well, we're recording this a weird in a weird order. Mm-hmm. But from the time we're listening to it, hopefully my week was really good. We went to Reno last weekend, and I was in a blackjack tournament. Wow. In my life, I'm co- I'm going to go to Reno this weekend and ho- be in a blackjack tournament, which I don't know how to do. So we'll see how it goes. So, well, blackjack jack is a game that even I can play. It's not a matter of winning or losing in a blackjack uh-huh. tournament. It's right. pot management. So it's the person in each round who has the most money at the end. So it's when to bet big, when to not bet big, when to split, all of these things. It's pot management more than, yeah, we know. The, the cards are going to go to 21 mm-hmm. or not. <laughs> that's, that's what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. I don't know how it's going to go. I could be out in three minutes. I could win the whole thing. Maybe I won $30,000. So I, I should congratulate you on your success ahead of time. That's right. Okay, there we Do go. Do it. Put it into, that's the secret, right? Put just, it into existence. Just right. speak it into the world. Yep. All right, let's talk about another thing that was spoken into the world. <laughs> and it should have been, shouldn't have been. So, Maximum Overdrive is a 1986 theatrical production. <laughs> I need to stress that this was released in theaters for people to take their money and give give to them mm-hmm. to watch. So that's that's rough. We were fortunate. I thought we were going to have to rent it, and I was bummed out about it. But mm-hmm. we were fortunate. If you have Dish, this. Movie is available on demand, which is also true of next week's movie, which I would have paid for. This one was a rough one. I'm going to be honest with everyone here. I really had a lot of trouble putting my eyes on the screen. Okay. I just didn't want to. It was on, Mm -hmm. and I could just, if I could find a smaller screen to attach my eyeballs to, that's what I was doing. Why do you think that was? I think there were a number of reasons. Okay. One was that for many of the actors, they were bad. Okay. Not all. Not by a long shot. I'm mm-hmm. not so, I'm talking Emilio Estevez is a star in this movie. He's so good. The woman who's playing his love interest is bad at saying words that other people wrote for her, which is unfortunate. Because that is the entirety of her job. <laughs> she she didn't sound natural at any time during the entire movie that mm. I could that I could rec- recall. Um, 
And she's a woman who did not do a lot after this or before it. So well, I, I would say to her defense, I'm going to um, offer... It's also possible that she was the uh, product of poor direction right. by our novice director, Stephen King. I, this is his one and only directorial. Well, say for Miss Laura Harrington, that, that is the actress who's the female lead in this film. She sounds like she should be at the Derby with a large hat. Yes, well... Um, I have to say, in her defense, she had a really great tan. She was a lovely woman. No, but this was like one of the best tans I've seen in a movie. That I have to say. Uh, Aside from that, there's not much to recommend her performance. She's not given much to do. She isn't given much to do. She Her introductory scene... I, well, let's, let's start right, at the start. So, okay, start at the let's start. Let's start then. at the... Well, first of all, what's this movie about? What's it our, is about... What's a, our one... Sentence overview. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. Uh, a comet passing over the Earth makes trucks go crazy and mechanical objects. Machines. So we could have a whole philosophical dis- debate about what makes a machine. But we focus on a group mm-hmm. of people who try to survive when machines start to come alive and become homicidal. Okay. Homicidal machines. This is based on the short story Trucks, which is why trucks are the primary machine that we are dealing with. They're not by they're not the first machine that we actually interact with. Mm -hmm. They're not the most deadly machine that we interact with, weirdly. Because I think that bridge took out more people. No, I think the military truck with the gun mounted on it. Oh yeah, maybe. Is actually the most dangerous machine in the entire film. But I still don't think its body count was as high because we were dealing with a no, smaller it, population right. by that point. I, there's some logic in the film that doesn't make any sense, which the fact that trucks come to life is one of those things. Yes, so we get a very long, like like it's both long in number of words mm-hmm. and long in time on screen uh, description of at exactly 9.46 a.m. Mm-hmm. on this day, 19, right. in 1987, uh, we enter the tail of this comet. And then we're going to be there for like eight days. And as soon as we enter the tail of this comet, our machines go bonkers. Right. They start trying to kill us. And we later on find out there's an alien invasion that goes on, or at least the bumpkins trapped inside of this diner formulate the idea of an alien invasion which but then at the end right. a ufo is found right. and blown out of the sky so apparently they reason it all out. the alien invasion so the idea is that they're having our machines do their dirty work for us right so or for them so we are killed by our machines and they can come and take whatever it is they want from the planet which obviously isn't people it's you know gold or whatever water who knows? <laughs> that was a different movie. No, actually, Lack of Water is a different movie. But um, There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? This is part <laughs> of a genre of films that existed very briefly when Haley's Comet last passed over. Oh, was that in 1986? There said, was right? Life Force, there was Night of the Comet, and these were films about comets passing overhead, neither bringing doom and destruction and turning everyone into zombies. Or, or hiding... Comets hiding vampires, space vampires, in their, the tail of the comet that get discovered. Sexy space vampires. Yes, absolutely. 100% naked French women from outer space that turned out to be vampires. Um, 
but uh, yeah, there was there was actually a few films that followed this kind of genre, and the, typically they weren't all that great. Night of the Comet is probably the best of the lot, and that was really influential to um, Joss Whedon. Yeah, he, he he liked that movie in particular. But other than that, they're not really great films. It was just sort of cashing in well, on something. Well, it seems that was in the like the they time. were turning them around very quickly. So right. it wasn't there wasn't a lot of time to make a great film. If no. an idea strikes you and you're like, it's in the zeitgeist now. We've got a year to get it out. Yeah. I've never read the original story, Trucks. Does it have anything to do with comments, or is it? I don't know the answer to that. I will find out. Why yeah. don't you tell us about Pat Hingle, who's the best actor so in this Pat movie? Pat Hingle in this is a character actor who was everywhere growing up. And he plays variations on the same kind of troublesome guy all the time. But he has a career that's gone on. I mean, he's literally made hundreds of film appearances, uh, starting with On the Waterfront all the way through uh, films like, oh, good Lord, The Grifters, which was a really good performance as the sort of uh, Bobo Justice, who's the head of all the grifters and exacts a terrible justice on people who... Um, don't, uh, and I don't, well, actually, I shouldn't spoil that movie for you. It's really very good. But he had performances on everything from uh, from Gunsmoke to Batman to... If you've ever seen a, a big man gnawing on a cigar? cigar, it's based on this dude. Yeah. <laughs> the Penguin, I want to say. Uh-huh. Not the Penguin. No, and no. He, he didn't chew no, on a guitar. Uh, on a guitar. On oh, a cigar. Um, Trucks does not have a reason. The short story. Okay. It just happens. It has a lot of the same scenes, uh, but it ends uh, with um, a pair of planes fly overhead and the narrator laments, I wish I could believe there are people in them. And the narrator is basically the Emilio Estevez character. Yeah, now this Emilio Estevez character is... He's a well, short order cook, mm-hmm. and he has a record. Not like a, a musical record. This no, is not as record. in a record of a people making music in a room. No, a, a, a uh, criminal penal record. record. Penal. A penal record. And that doesn't sound right. So his boss is uh, extorting his money from him. Now his boss, who who's played by... Uh, Pat Hingle. Pat Hingle. Yes. Seems to be an arms dealer. Turns out, yes. Okay. Turns out there's... They're at a um, combination truck stop diner arcade. Okay, yeah. That's what's there, right? They Mm -hmm. also have showers and stuff, so it's like a real truck stop. And there's a diner attached to it. That's where Billy, is that his name? Yep, Bill Robinson. Bill Robinson. That's where Emilio Estevez's character is, the short order cook. Right. And... uh, also, there there's an arcade attached to the back of that. Right. Uh, and then I think there's a shed, like maybe for fixing cars. So they're in like this little compound of right. these these uh, built these buildings. Also, tell me if I'm wrong, and y'all like seriously, let me know this because it's deeply confusing to mm-hmm. me. They were filling up these giant trucks with diesel out of a regular gas pump. 
And so they had to like have attendance because it takes like right. an hour to fill these big rigs mm-hmm. with gas. Do truck stops not have like gas pumps that cater to the giant clientele? You know, this is interesting because I recently took a, a long road trip, as you know. Mm-hmm. And you did see separate gas stations that were like overnight stops right. and stays for truckers. Yeah, they typically will have shower facilities right. and, and so a you, diner is usually We saw usually some involved. of those, but more, uh, more often than not, on these long stretches on the highway, you also had uh, gas stations that just that serviced everybody. Yeah, sip and go. And there was like one set-apart uh, set diesel pump for, for people, uh, for truckers. But, yeah, so those do exist. But it was just a regular pump? Right, it was a regular pump. Wow. Okay. Um, no, maybe but, yeah, the technology it did, it doesn't it exist. It looked like it took forever. I, I don't know how it worked I, back I then. I mean, that's why I mm-hmm. think there's attendance, right? Because right. this dude isn't going to sit here for an hour. He's going to go eat. Mm-hmm. You're going to fill him up. Right. And then he's going to get back on the road. That's the impression I got. I haven't, you know, I've never gotten into it. And one. it's hundreds of dollars of mm-hmm. gas at that point. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, no, that was wild. I was just like, how is there not a, a fatter tube to get <laughs> <laughs> the diesel into these trucks? But, you know, I'm wrong about things. Sort of like, uh, I guess, um, the straw that you have for uh, a tapioca drink, right? Yes, the fat straw. Okay. Or the delicious watermelon freeze from Taco Bell. All right. It's a really big straw that they give you. Because there's also candy in there, and they don't oh, want you to oh, die. It has candy in it? Mm-hmm. Watermelon oh. seeds that are really just little sugar candies. Okay. That just sounds like my, my teeth hurt now. It's, they're very sweet. All right. Your teeth should hurt. It's not a thing that you should be consuming. So we also have a star truck. Who stars in the truck? It's the Green Goblin. It's the Green Goblin from Batman. Uh, from Batman, Jesus. From Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider-Man's Green Goblin, and that really is the other star performer of the show. It's the only truck, because the, the problem is, is that there's not a lot of personality in a truck. Nope. So they put um, a face on it. They put a face on it. A huge face, which <laughs> Suddenly, covers... personality. The entire grill. I'm not sure exactly how that would work. I do not think it was street legal. And at one point, the, light, the eyes light up red, uh-huh. and I don't know if that was weird alien energy or if it really did that, because I really, really don't think that'd be street legal. No, I, I don't think so. And there's a scary clown painter on the back of it, so it's, you know... Party in the front, business in the back. That's right. This truck. Party um, in the front, molestation in the back. It right, just seems just, dangerous. It's, it's, uh, this whole film feels very... Uh, maybe you should go into the description before... We... Okay, so I don't even know how we're going to... Like I said, I have trouble. So Do you want me to do it? I, the beat by I beat is going to be tricky for me. Um, the first thing that we see is some bri- a bridge. Uh-huh. It's a um, drawbridge, not a drawbridge. What's it called? Is that called the drawbridge? I'm not sure now. The kind of bridge that is a road, and then when the bridge is, or when something tall needs right. to go underneath, it opens up. Now, this is silly for the audience because we live within two miles of two of, of them. Of two of them. Right. So, so the fact that we're stuck at work. Normally, you'd get a red light and a, and a mm-hmm. drop down as though a railroad was going by or something, right. so you can't get on the bridge when it's up. Mm-hmm. And... But it doesn't give any warning, and it just starts going up. And then a motorcyclist dies, and a trucker is, dies. That's easily the most impressive scene in the film to me. 
Yeah. Is that the, the amount of stunt and human carnage and flying watermelons and whatever else. Yeah, there was a truck of watermelons. It, so there's some it's crushing watermelons so you don't see humans being crushed. Really well staged. Yes, um, it's actually not bad. It, I like a... Because, again... Except for the things that the people are yelling. Right. It's impossible. The light is green. Well, well, clearly, sir, it is possible because it is happening. Now, the tone of the characters in this movie is set by the people who operate the, the bridge, who are sitting playing cards while one very intently picks his nose. Um, and those are the, the, the kind of guys you'll be seeing different varieties of beer drinkers and nose pickers all throughout this film. It's not like we have a shining example. No. In terms of a character. We're really talking about dregs of humanity. Everyone's here. kind of covered no offense, in sweat. No offense, everyone, but like, I don't want to know anyone in this movie. Yeah. They're all... Except maybe the black trucker. And the little kid, he maybe. He seemed to have, and the kid. The kid's dad, too, seemed to be a decent person. We'll get into that, although, you know, being decent in this world doesn't really la- you know, help you very much. But there's a lot of like... The movie feels vulgar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, it's Frankie Faison. I knew he looked familiar. Uh-huh. I was like, I know this dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the movie is vulgar. There's another scene where we're treated to listening to a person use the toilet. Yeah. And there's like there's the, uh, voluble the, sound effects. One dude is like asking him a bunch of questions right. and won't leave him alone while he's in there. And I'm just like, no, but I don't want this. <laughs> right. So he's sitting in the toilet and we're hearing these farting sounds in the background. Well, Emilio Estevez is interrogating him. I'm going, I really, I could live my whole life without saying this. Yeah, we this. didn't and that, need it. And the nose picking and all the other weird kind of, there's a scene where somebody crawls through a sewage drain. There's just lots of comments on how much piss is in the sewage drain. Um, there is. It's true. We don't need to talk about it. Right. It's like we got the picture. It's a sewage drain. We don't need to make constant jokes about it. Or how much of it got in your mouth and you were splashing around in there. It's like, it, there's a real kind of lowbrow... Um, aesthetic to this movie. Yes. For no reason? Right, and we're treated to characters... I mean, we're supposed to understand that this is happening all over the place to everyone. Right. But why do we have to have the worst people? (laughs) This was something that you saw in movies a lot in the 50s and 60s. When you wanted to control the budget for a science fiction film about the end of the world, you stuck everyone in a diner. That's fair. And and you did this. And put them in a diner, put them in a Walmart. Right. And when I was a kid growing up, there was a lot of, and again, being that Stephen King and I have seen all the same movies, Destination Earth and Devil Girl from Mars and uh, Interme- or Immediate Disaster are all these movies about the end of the world and a bunch of people in a hotel somewhere talking about the end of the world and occasionally cutting to stock footage of floods and things. So that this is a thing that used to be done. Um, but these characters... There's like almost no variety in them. They're all kind of dense. They're all kind of questionable. Yeah. And uh, aside from one or two of like the kid that you sort of prize for his innocence um, and doesn't really deserve this, the rest of them are all kind of, you know, drifters and yeah. truckers. And... So, well, I mean, that makes sense mm-hmm. given where we are. Right. So, in the diner, we end up with Emilio Estevez because he works there and the waitress who has been assaulted by a an electric knife mm-hmm. uh, pretty badly. It cuts her a lot. This waitress, by the way... And then my, she just goes back to slinging hash, right. like, whatevs. Is my favorite actress in this entire film, I think. What's her name? Um, 
I, I don't know her name. I never want Ellen to see her McDuff. again. Ellen <laughs> McDuff. Nope. Ellen McElduff. I thought you said McElduff? McDuff, like Leon McDuff. Cursed be the first no, who says M-C-E-L-D-U-F-F. Choose and little man hate. And this actress just, I don't know what was going on. Stephen King admits that he directed this film in a haze of cocaine. Yes. And I think that in his head, this performance makes sense. She is constantly screaming at the trucks. Oh, yes, she is. That is true. And there are points when she's literally screaming and jumping up and down and waving her arms, like, really, really giving it her all. She, yeah, she's doing a lot. But she, like I said, she is cut pretty significantly right. across the top By, of her arm. Yeah. I'm like, OSHA says, go to the hospital now. Because then the thing falls on the ground and cuts her foot, too. Right, and Emilio Estevez has to kill it with a hammer. He beats it up with a hammer, saves her, uh-huh. and she wraps some gauze around it and is back to work. And I'm just like, um, the laws. <laughs> and in the meanwhile, um, Brett who's played by Laura Harrington, the, the very tanned oh, woman. Oh, yeah, she is in a Bible salesman's car. Uh-huh. And she's listening to the radio as he's trying to hit on her and not listening to the radio. And the radio says, uh, get off the fucking freeway because right. we don't know what's happening, but it ain't fucking good. And so she grabs the steering wheel and drives it into the, steers it into the Dixie Boy parking lot. Right. Well, telling her, telling him if he doesn't get his hand off of her leg, he'll be wiping his ass with a hook. Yeah. I believe is There's the phrase. There's a lot of clever, clever um, lines in this film. That's one word for them. Right. So they're there. That's the Bible the salesman. Oh, who, which is, that was a wild interaction too, because she makes, makes him pull over, basically. Mm-hmm. Gets out of the car. Right. And then he, he runs after her, berating her for her rudeness. And her language. And her language. And now, I'm like, if you have such a problem with this woman, leave her alone. Here's the other what, odd thing. She owes you literally nothing. She then changes an outfit because... She it, changes like three times, She changes an outfit in... <sighs> and then the second she sees Emilio Estevez begins hitting on him. Oh, my God. I didn't even... I think she starts hitting on him before he even enters her full right. light of vision. I think she's yeah, just she's, like... Something in her body is like... You know, and at first I thought, do they know each other? Appropriate man, right? <laughs> do they know each other? Do they? Well, I thought maybe there was a past relationship they were hinting mm-hmm. on. No, she just jumps into it with both feet and starts coming onto her to him as hard as she can. Now, let's be real about this. Uh, Amina Estevez is a hottie. <laughs> he's a good. I know I you don't you. understand any of that, but he's good looking. Uh, he looks great in this movie. He's doing good work. He looks like a tiny version of Martin Sheen. Right. He looks like his dad so hard in this movie. Um, and he did. Beautiful I'm, eyes. Uh, clearly a star. I get it. I but have she seen, is a giant thirst trap. It's right. ridiculous. <laughs> I have seen Martin Sheen. Let me think. Back in the incident or one of his really early films, and it is creepy how much. Emilio looks exactly like him. So much. Charlie Sheen never looked Uh as much like his dad as Emilio Estevez does. It's bananas. It is very strange. But because we've just seen Martin Sheen in Uh a couple of these movies, I'm just like struck by how much he really does. I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) It's like a tiny clone. Um, 
So that relationship gets started. She changes several times. She keeps changing no. her clothes, and I never see her get a get a suitcase out of the car that she had left. No. That she was hitchhiking from. Here's the so. other thing, too. You mentioned how much you respected um, the horror film with Liv Tyler. The Strangers. Because when things start going down, she immediately changes into a pair of She puts on pants, pants and, and tennis shoes no. and, and plugs her phone in. And I'm like, oh, no, she's smart. <laughs> this is going to be very scary. Brett Graham, who, who's named after her, she's slumming from the, the Cracker Fortune, um, Brett, How do you know her last name? It's it's listed. Not in IMDb. <laughs> she changes from jeans into a miniskirt. Yeah. To when avoid she knows the runaway that trucks. shit is going down because so she she's the, the one who... the exact opposite yeah. of what was in any way reasonable. Um, mostly because I think she just wants to... Get laid, frankly. Yeah, That's... she's making it easy, easy access is what she's doing. And then the last couple that we deal with is mm-hmm. Kurt and Connie. They've just been married. And Connie is played by Yardley Smith, who does all of the screaming. She, so yes. much of the screaming. And she's screaming at times for no apparent purpose. Y'all, if you don't know, Yardley Smith is the voice of Lisa Simpson and... Lisa Simpson is just her voice. She's not right. doing a voice. Yeah. That's what she sounds like. <laughs> I liked her in Herman's head. She Come just, back to the 90s with me. <laughs> she does not stop screaming. No. no. Shrieking. She's a shrieker. There's also the young man uh, who's the other thread oh, of the yes. story. Then there is a young boy who... Uh, does he... His father is a trucker because he gets killed early in the film. Is that right? Yeah. He gets blinded by gasoline or diesel fuel and then walks into a truck that drives at him. um, And leaves a perfect impression of him on the grill of the truck. That's right. In like a cartoon pose. Right. Um, (laughs) Arms up. But we're treated to his story as well as he's trying to make his way to the... the, um, He's the, headed towards the Dixie right. boy. And he has uh, he's playing on a, bo- a baseball team. Yes, he's on a baseball team, and then somebody gets mushed by a steamroller, because why wouldn't well, you? Before that, we have the coach who goes to get sodas for the team. Oh, that's and right. And gets killed by being having a, a can of soda shot S- at his head. Soda projectiles. Right. The wound that a can of soda leaves on this man's head is... Again, perfect. It's like cartoon wound. It's perfectly round. It's perfectly round, round which is uh-huh. what the end of a soda can would be. But it also has removed all of the skin uh-huh. from that circle. I don't know how. I don't know how right. it did that. Yeah, it's this dent in this dude's forehead. It's wild. I'm just like that's not. And then of course the there's the steamroller who rolls over the kid. Yep. Um, which was apparently a, a originally supposed to be a much more graphic scene, but it got yes. toned down. There's a lot of graphic scenes in this Three film. seconds. Three seconds longer with uh, bladder popping. There's a lo- There was a lot of bladder popping heads mm-hmm. in the original cut of this movie that mm-hmm. they have removed. Uh, I'm looking at IMDb's trivia, and there is a... A very long list of deleted scenes. <laughs> Apparently, King spoke of showing the uncut version to fellow, fellow horror director. Feller. Feller. 
fellow horror director George Romero, which might be the rudest thing anyone has ever said about George Romero, (laughs) and uh, was quoted as saying that it made Mr. Romero sick. Oh, well, there you go. So they did a lot. They did a whole bunch, and then they cut a bunch of it out. Uh, Okay, yeah, so this is where I sort of lose the thread. Okay. Like, and then... The trucks want them, at one point, to fuel them. Right. Feed us, they say. You will not be no, harmed no, if you feed us. Here's the interesting part. The, the boy makes it to the... Yes. The, so they're all together, except the salesman. The Bible salesman does not make it at this point. He had been wounded and knocked into a ditch. They assumed he was dead, but right. then they hear him yelling and find out he is not dead. So there's a rescue mission later. So there's a bunch of drama. There's a weird subplot about uh, Bubba Hendershot, which is uh, Pat Hingle's character... Oh, yeah, the owner of this Dixie boy. Because they start pulling out guns and firing all of these weapons. And then a rocket launcher, I believe, at one point. Yes. Um, That he knows how to use somehow. Like, he read the instructions, like, just in case. And and Emilio Estevez is like, where the fuck did this come from? And and one of the dumb attendants is like, oh, he got a ton of stuff outside. And they're like, shut up, This is what leads to the toilet scene interrogation. And then, yes, and then there's the toilet scene interrogation. And then we find out, yeah. There's just and, a shit ton of arms in here. Because why wouldn't you have that? So the married oh, couple... Oh, also, we're not in Maine. We're in North Carolina. I just want to point it out. <laughs> the married couple makes it also to the diner. So all these characters converge. Um, Where they're fed, repeat... Like, they're constant... Everybody's constantly eating. So right. Baba's making his coin. And the waitress is... Sir, Wanda Joe or whatever is serving right. all of them with her bro... Like, with, with one hand. Fucked up ass arm. <laughs> like, um... Yeah, it just, at no point does anybody consider why is our electricity still going, why do we still have, and something that was pointed out to us, too, is why are some cars immune to it? Because the married couple gets there with the use of their automobile, which is not taking over. It seems like smaller cars aren't being affected. However, really small things like, you know. But that, well, vending machines aren't doing well. machines. Arcade machines, because right. that um, they can also send electricity to you. Mm-hmm. That's what happens to one of the guys in the arcade. Right, he gets all excited because the cigarette machine starts dispensing a shit ton of cigarettes and all of the money that was in it. So he's like packing his whole self basically with cigarettes and money, which, depending on who you are, that's both currency. And uh, then he gets shocked by, yeah. like, the I air hockey table out, or something. This character, who gets killed in a full minute or two of the movie... Yes, is, it's very early in the film. <laughs> ...is um, 2012 Critics' Choice Television Award winner and Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series winner at the Primetime Emmy Awards, Giancarlo Esposito. That was Giancarlo Esposito? Yes. Holy Jesus, In dude. a minute role where he's playing, you know, his trademark role at the he's time so of good. hyperactive black man, which he later on really, really brought to great ex- a great degree in Do the Right Thing. That's wild. And he was just playing that character in everything at the time. He was just like... But he's... You, I, you, I don't even think you see his face, really, so I, I didn't even... I saw him long enough to recognize him and go, what the hell is he doing is in this he movie? doing in this movie? Right. Well, it was 1986. What are you going to do? And it was, what, a day? Right. Like, I, he didn't need that. to be there for yeah. very long, so... Uh, yeah, that's wild. That's crazy. 
he's so good. What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> I think my heart hurts. Bugging out, playing the same character that he did in the right thing. Yeah, it like, is basically the same character. <laughs> just like the very hyper. I mean, the first face we see is Stephen King's face because right. he's a real Tarantino. <laughs> and he's going to be in the movie. Of course, he's going to be in the movie. Is this the first time he's been in the movie? No, because he was Jodie Verrill. In Creepshow. That's right. And he gets turned into mush and... That's right. Because he does do... I will tell you, because I was nervous. I looked at his IMDb uh, page Mm -hmm. to see if he had any other directing credits. He does not. But he has 24 acting credits. Right. Um, Because he does appear in his own things. Right. I just find it, found it funny. The reason I had to point that out about who he that was guy also, was. And it, he was, oh, okay. He was in an episode of Frasier, but he was one of the callers. Uh-huh. So it's oh, just okay. his voice. So I'm like, it's, Frasier's a weird thing to like do a, a cameo in. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but I had to point out that it was Giancarlo Esposito just because. That's wild. One of the most, easily one of the most talented actors the character actors that we have working right, is in but, a minute-long part. But at that point, you don't... So they're going back to the film. So you yeah, saying so this is where you lost... This is, this is where I right. lose it. I'm like, I know that they have to feed the trucks, and that's what I know. Like, so I just... what happened is that the trucks started beeping out Morse code messages that the boy dictates, and that's what it's feed us. For, uh, sometime before that, there's a military... Jeep or something with a machine gun mounted on it that starts mowing down the people inside the diner. So they now have no respite. That's right. They can't leave the diner for fear of getting hit by a truck. Yeah, they're um, circling right. the the thing. But um, when this military vehicle comes by, they really are at the mercy of that gun. So several of them get killed there, including Wanda Wanda May or Wanda. Although the waitress did die. See, yeah. I didn't even I couldn't even keep track. She gets shot to pieces, as does a, some other character, one or two of the other characters, uh, who we really didn't connect with anyhow. Because, and this is the mark of amateur directing: you're never sure how many people are in this diner. Because once they start getting shot, I'm like, who is that guy? Like, I don't even remember him being in the diner in the first place. But um, so they're now sort of over the barrel, so to speak, with the trucks. They have to do what the truck wants, and they have to feed it. And so this and is, they communicate via uh, um, Morse code, which right. the boy knows. Right. So he just got a merit badge in it or something. So there's various adventures in which they discover they can actually escape through the through like a drainage tunnel. Yes. And a sewer tunnel out to the outside, and they make an escape plan which is enacted just abruptly, almost as if we reached a point in the film where we need to do something. Um. And so everyone escapes out through the drainage tunnel. We've been through there before because there's a kind of a goofy exchange with Emilio Estevez and um, and the groom, whose name escapes Kurt. me right now. And they sort of buddy up to crawl through the drainage tunnels. They're giving each other a hard time. It's very kind of, I don't know, it reminded me a little bit of Christine. And there's a lot of masculine joking about really goofy things. And they get out of the tunnel in an attempt to save the Bible salesman, who apparently is still alive and just wallowing around outside. Um, yeah, and he's screaming at one point, so right. like, we got to go get him. And by the time they go to get him, he's already dead. wants to go get him. <sighs> and so it was just a pointless adventure, but it does tell them how to escape later in the film. Yeah. Yes. And so they escape. The trucks go on a rampage. They tear apart the diner. 
which is the other most impressive scene in the film. And uh, Bill Robinson gets all the remaining survivors off to the boat, which he had earlier described he wanted to That's escape. That's right. They're the sailboat, so no machinery. Right. He wanted to escape with uh, Brett. Yes. During their uh, liaison. They have sex, and he fucks like a hero. He makes love like a hero. Excuse me, I was vulgar. Wow, I apologize. That was just that was wrong. But also, she literally says, "You you sure make love like a hero," and I don't even know what that means. She keeps using <laughs> that word. At one point, means. when uh, Estevez is crawling out of the drain tunnel, and he's face down with his butt up in the air. She's like, "I've never seen a hero pose like that." She just keeps like. And almost, I don't think at any point he was like, "I'm uh, the hero." Right, like I don't no. think he did that. Um, so it's a it's a really odd idiosyncrasy of this film that he keeps getting referred to as hero and he's a guy you know an ex con who isn't too swift and you know he just has the virtue of aiming the rocket launcher that he happens to have in the right direction. I don't know. This film is very baffling to me. I, it wasn't Samuel L. Jackson in Coming to America, but that's another one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, where you do see actors. Where it's just a big actor in a very right. small role. But Coming to America is like a classic right. in circles. So that's... It's a classic as a comedy. I think, like as we discussed, the problem was it tried to be everything at the same time. But yeah. that's not his fault. No, yeah. I was just, yeah. No, uh-huh. I was, I was tr- I'm still trying to figure out what I was thinking of. But, so, so what ends up happening? So what ends up happening is that they escape and then uh, um, a... Uh, a scrolling narrator. Oh yeah, uh, uh, yes, a thing at the end where we see that a Soviet weather satellite, quote unquote, quote unquote, that happened to be armed with missiles, destroyed a UFO that was in the comet's tail, and then the world went back to normalcy. Right, and then six days later, right. they were out of the comet, right, or whatever. So it was a, a botched alien invasion. Yep, using just trucks. like they said, which right. is what they were like. Because that was what Emilio Estevez's character was like. Well, if it was me and I was trying to take over a planet, I would right. turn the machines against the people and then I'd go in and take... And you do see, like, when... I mean, most of this place takes place at the Dixie Boy, but when the... What's the boy's name? Deke? Is that him? Or is it Handy? No, wait. No, Handy no. is Frankie Faison's character. It was Deke. Or it, it, yeah. So he was only... 14 when this movie was made, so it was definitely him. Uh, when he's riding through the town, right. he, you see people at all of these suburban houses that have been killed by their machines in various ways. Yeah. So a lot of people died? Like a whole bunch of people died? It doesn't actually say in the final crawl how many I think that's the died. best. His scenes are some of the best in the entire film. He's very natural and good. No, but not just that. The this, the construction of those scenes where oh, he's yes. going to this town full of dead people. You can see echoes of what Stephen King does later in this film. You know, you can see the, the whole Langoliers is spent basically in an airport talking about what might or might not be happening. Um, and you see some of those scenes of wandering through dead towns remind me of things that happen in the stand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. wandering through streets full of dead people. Um, so there's a lot of echoes of his stuff in here. Yeah. Uh, and I think that really is the best because I... I think that works too better for a movie. Like, give me... Mm-hmm. If you're telling me that this is a worldwide threat, show me. 
don't just tell me in yellow or font on the front of the movie. Oh, typically in old movies, it was there's a radio or a television set inside showing. Which you do get some of that. That is why, right. like, Brett pulls the car over because you hear. We don't know what's happening with the machinery, but you got to get off the roads. If you're near the freeways, get off the freeways. That was the other thing was, we live in California where many, many trucks on the freeways is a normal thing. Right. And at one point, the newlyweds are driving, and there's nobody in their lane, but on the other lane going right. the opposite direction, there are all these semis. And I'm like, where do you think they're going? And I'm like... They're, they're they're going wherever the right. people who ordered the stuff in the back of them are. Yeah, it's not alarming <laughs> like, to it's alarming to be on the road with them sometimes because you're trapped mm-hmm. in these valleys between trucks. It's I know cool. I drive a very small car, uh, but it's out here we see it all the time. There's yeah. a huge. They're it, like, what's going industry. on with all these trucks? And I'm like, they're transporting goods? What are you talking about? So overall, what did you think of it? I did not enjoy it. Okay. Um, So, yes. What were the moments that you felt worked? I think probably that one scene (laughs) where the boy is bicycling through the town Mm -hmm. and you're sort of seeing the overarching devastation. That was good. Um, I actually didn't hate the scene where the knife, the electric knife attacks, because those are disconcerting to me. Uh, and so I thought that that worked pretty well. But man, too many of the people in this movie just were either bad at acting or being directed poorly right. or a double threat a combination of the two. Uh, and so it was just, it wasn't, even the stuff that was like supposed to be gross and fantastic to watch mm. I didn't want to because it, it all tipped over into unpleasant uh-huh. so I don't want to look at it that was sort of where I was just I didn't it's, I didn't like it <laughs> like I said we open with nose picking we continue with flatulence and truck stop hookups and it's just all kind of sorted dingy Yes, there's a kind of a dingy, sordid, gross kind of feeling to the whole movie. Uh, there's are people that you don't particularly care if they make it or not. Yeah, I'm sort of like... Mm. <laughs> and I know that sounds horrible, but I just couldn't bring myself to be that invested into how whether all these people make it out. Right. You have... I liked the thing about you have to feed us. Mm-hmm. Like, we're running out of power. Like, why, were you, why are you still going then? Why right. didn't you just get a few more? Circle up and then turn off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I liked that aspect of it and the fact that they communicated in Morse code. Right. Good thing the boy was there because nobody else fucking knew. Right. Anything. I'm just like, what? Uh, the the thing about them having all of the weapons, I didn't love because I'm like, well, that shit's super convenient. Like, right. <laughs> like what? Uh, but yeah, generally the people were just piles of yuck and I was just like I don't care I liked and this is coming from a person from my generation it's always neat to watch big loud stunt scenes in a movie and that scene with the the bridge yeah in the very beginning that was cool it was really well staged it reminded me because again this is like the 70s was a period of time a period for films like Race with the Devil and the Texas Dynamite Chase and there was a lot of big car chase, you know, 
scenes and movies. That was fun. Also, the very ending with the trucks doing what they could have done at any point through the film, and it confuses me that they didn't, which is to drive right through the... Yes. Um, like, why didn't they just do that earlier? I didn't get it. Yeah. But one of the things we noticed in the credits Driving afterwards, right through what? We driving didn't... right through the diner. Yeah. There and they could have done it at any point. That's a very spectacular way to end the film. Yeah. Something that I didn't notice until I saw the end credits was that Emilio Ruiz, the Spanish special effects artist, was credited, you know, we talked about him with uh, Cat's Eye. Yes. The guy who does the fantastically strange foreground miniatures that are undetectable when the images are uh, put together, um, worked on the film. So I'm wondering how much of that climactic scene was actually trucks running through a truck stop or if it was miniatures or if it was forced perspective or whatever it was. It was probably miniatures. I, I, well, let's see. Because it might have been really unsafe to do that with life-size trucks tearing down an entire building because it's yeah. pretty large. Yeah, and they had a $10 million estimated budget. Okay. Um, so I don't know if, yeah, you can tear down... First of all, I don't know if you can destroy the trucks. It's right. not even the building, because a building you can actually build fairly right. cheap if you're just going to have something drive through it. It right. doesn't need to be structurally sound well, or up the code. there's this kind of shelter area mm -hmm. that when it got torn down, it was enormous, and it really gives you a sense of mass. So I don't know how much of that was special effects and how much of that was stunt work, but it was all very impressive. Yeah, so... Apparently, okay, so let's talk about alternate versions or the okay. original cut. The director's cut of this movie was X-rated. Wow. They were going to get an X rating. Mm -hmm. And this is before Triple X was a thing and NC-17 was right. a thing. And it's what Midnight Cowboy was rated, right? Okay. Like, fucking seriously, no kids. Um, and some of the things that were cut were... Uh, three seconds of Bubba Hendershot getting shot up by the military vehicle. Three seconds of steamroller running over Bobby. Three seconds of the Bible salesman's face falling into his lap. A few seconds of Stephen King greeting a few passers-by before sticking his bank card in the machine slot. Uh, a motorcycle throwing his arms over his face before plunging into the water. That's just longer. They cut. They cut uh, it. What's time. there is there. They cut it. Six seconds of the electrical knife slicing off Frank's right index finger. A few seconds of the can leaving an imprint in the coach's forehead that expands into a huge bladder on his forehead and spraying blood, and then more of the forehead bladder popping, which is a phrase that I don't ever want to say again. Yeah. Well, there you uh, go. More people getting run over by steamrollers, more uh, bodies that had been decimated by a lawnmower, which, yeah, which that could be Which you see in the background of the film, lawnmower going covered in blood, but you, you don't do, actually see. You do, but you don't see, see a person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, a dead ice cream man in the ice cream truck. Um, there was a whole part where another guy hides in the drainage ditch with the salesman, and then they're gonna um, attack him uh -huh. uh, with a straight razor. But that whole thing was cut. A few seconds of the Bible salesman's. Uh, this is from IMDb. 
The Bible salesman nog- salesman's noggin peeling down, revealing his bloodied skull, and then I guess falling into right. his lap. So there was a lot. So I guess that he was attacked by a straight razor. So that's basically. What the was things. the point of all that? Why go that bad or that hard? I mean, I think he wanted well, co- cocaine. Right. Okay. <laughs> but also, what you're able to put on the pages of a book. Yeah. And what you really should show to get the same points across are very different. Typically, the human mind can receive a lot more via the written word. Right. Unless you're hyper um, imaginative, and mm-hmm. then it's, sometimes it's hard for people to read that. Right. But because you're all you're looking at is the alphabet, and how bad could it be? It's all the same letters that you always look at versus these images on the screen to do a one for one is too much. <laughs> so I think that I wonder if there's any survival of that print. I don't know that I'd want to see it. It's because unclear to I me can see whether that is true. A certain amount of really graphic stuff if it's in service of a really compelling story. But this was a crappy story, and I don't know if I could see all that just and the only reward is I get to see more crap. There is a book further info on these cuts and uh, King's thoughts on them uh, can be read in the book The Lost Work of Stephen King by Stephen J. Spignessi. So, but it doesn't say anywhere in here that I can see that the uncut version is available somewhere. All right. It's interesting. Um, But, yeah. I mean, now, with the effects as they are, it'd be rated R. Right. It wouldn't be. It'd be a hard R, but it would still be an R. Sure. Maybe. If the effects are what they are, they might do something like cartoony violence, though. I mean... Well, yeah. I mean, you could have the... What's his name? Um, who directed Lord of the Rings, whose name is... Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Everyone's getting away from me today. <laughs> Peter Jackson. This is a horrible film I had to see of his. Oh, yeah. He did some that I have opted out of. Dead Live? Yeah. Uh, was it? it? It was... I was stuck at a Halloween party... And you weren't stuck because I was in the same house, and you know what I did? I went right. to my room. <laughs> and I was with a group of young, young people who all voted for Halloween to see the dumbest horror film. Yeah, the, there were a bunch of really options, good, really and I was like no down choices. to see three of the five or right. something, and they chose one of the other two, and I was right. like, okay, that's cool, enjoy, and I bounced. <laughs> and so I just sort of felt like I was going to, well, let me sit here and be a good sport. And it was just the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And it was relentlessly gory. Yeah, fuck being a good sport. <laughs> right. I will never do that again. Uh, it yeah, was it was probably dead alive. Re- it wasn't Meet the Feebles. No. no. It was like relentlessly gory for no reason. I'm sorry. I, I need to just take one quick moment right. and say that I did not know that Peter Jackson directed The Frighteners. He did. That make, Well, yes, I know. I'm seeing that right. on IMDb. That makes a lot of sense. That movie is fucking great. But I did not know it was Peter Jackson. Yeah, yeah. That okay. was, there was, Sorry, I just needed to say that because that's wild to me. He's a but. very strange guy because if I had based my opinion of his work on something like Dead Alive, I would say the man's an idiot. However, on Heavenly Creatures, yeah, he, he really, or on The Frighteners, he, he swings wide where yeah. he can just make really tasteless And then I'm going to say, then, I like the Lord of the Rings movies. Yes, I do. And the Hobbit movies are... Oh, they're horrible. Something. Right. They're beautiful. That's too much 
I'm sorry, I read that book when I was eight, and right. it is not nine hours of movie. <laughs> hey, hot takes over this way. There was an animated film that was done by Rankin Bass. Yes, and I know, I've seen it. That's the version that is The Hobbit to me, Brother Theodore playing Gollum. But, like, yeah, he really swings back and forth right. in, in a lot of in really... quality. Then so, to do the lovely bones. Like, yeah, right. no, it's wild. It's uh, wild. I, I don't understand. Maybe he needs someone to keep him in line because there's dark, weird stuff in his head is what I'm guessing. Mm. He's from New Zealand, so that's probably a given. Yeah. So, yeah, he's done... Yeah, his... His directing filmography is uh, pretty fucking wild. Well, okay, and maybe that's the and best. he's directing the right. the sequel to the ne- the Adventures of Tintin, right? Or Tonton, Tonton, <laughs> uh, which is a like another weird choice. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, odd, I, I think odd, maybe odd. that's the best description for this movie is tasteless. It's just so much yes. of it is in bad taste. Yeah. I don't. And whether yeah. that's because Stephen King was like, "Let me see what I can get away with," right. and that if that's because there was so much cocaine involved, right. and he didn't have somebody with him, that's the thing. They should have given him a hand, somebody to hold his hand. Well, this is like thirteen-year-old humor, and yeah. everything about it is sort of on that. Which level. I'm pretty sure is because of the cocaine. Right. I I've, I've never done cocaine. Uh, full disclosure, but it feels like that might be. What happens to some people? They just revert. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I he has said so that it was for um, people listening who've done cocaine. Please call us. Yeah, let, us, let know. us know what let cocaine us know. is like. I have not done cocaine either. What movie would you make on cocaine? On cocaine, <laughs> would it be better or worse than this movie? So he has said it was. He had no idea what he was doing. Uh, uh, that he. Um, that he viewed it as an experiment and a learning experience and he never wanted to direct again. It, which is fine. You don't need to. You you takes, can write every book right. that's ever been. You don't need to also direct films. The advantage of writing over directing is that you're not going to fail at your vision. Right? This is something that I when mean, I was... A, this is from the point of view of a student filmmaker, right? Right. Is that something always went wrong? The actor didn't show up. You right. Didn't get that's the, shot the thing. You, want, a, a, you know, the a film right. has so many moving parts in it, and it has a lot and of a people, story that right? you're writing yourself has you and the page, and that's right. it. And that's why you know you don't have to worry about budgets. You don't have to worry about yeah. um, the producer calling you on stuff like yep. cutting out uh, someone's head exploding. Yes. Too many. Too many bladders. Right. Too many so. forehead bladders. You're going to have to cut some out. So, yeah, you don't have to worry about that, and you can make it as big or as small as you want yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, there's so many people in charge of other things, and they're all making their name on your work, so you could uh, they could be very supportive, or sometimes you just fall flat on your face. And I don't think, I don't know, I think, yes, with some better handling, you could have made a better director. But... But he doesn't want to be a director. He wanted to have a fun experience. He wants to have absolutely. I bet they had a blast. I bet the set was super fun for the I'm people imagining that. The, I bet the super the right. set was super fun for the dudes that were there. I, the women that were there, maybe not. Well, uh, like I said, Wanda June leaping up and down and screaming, "We made you! We made you!" Right. Like, I'm not sure. Uh, what is she? How is she sympathetic to anybody? She's. Yeah. 
So yeah, this whatever. movie mm-hmm. was nominated for Best Film at the International Fantasy Film Awards. Hey y'all, wow, that Laura must have been Carter. A bad year. It was also nominated for two Raspberries: Worst mm-hmm. Director and Worst Actor, both of which they lost to Under the Cherry Moon. Whoops! <laughs> hey Prince, you also shouldn't be a director. Rest in peace. Um, so, yeah. And he says, yes. He can, he describes it as a moron movie, considers the process a learning experience, after which he intended never to direct again. And he has made it to the age of, like, 74 and has not directed again. So Now, the soundtrack worked. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, the music was actually fun, <laughs> which, you know what he also has? A radio station. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, he's in the Rock Bottom Remainders. Right. Y'all, if, do you know what the rock bottom remainders are? No, what are they? No, do you, I do. do you really know? I'm playing the part of the audience. Oh, okay. No, audience, if you don't know, this is rad. It is like 50 different authors. It's on a rotating schedule of whoever's around. And they just play, they jam together. It's the best thing. <laughs> First of all, rock bottom remainders as a, ty- as a name of a band, if you've worked in bookstores is the best it's the greatest thing uh so if you go to their website it says over 350 million books sold 40 new york times number one bestsellers one lousy band okay so it is made up of dave barry ted bartimus roy blunt jr michael doris robert fulkheim kathy kemen goldmark matt graining josh kelly stephen king barbara kingsolver which is wild. Grill Marcus, Dave Marsh, Ridley Pearson, Joel Selvin, and my personal favorite, Amy Tan. Yes, I like the idea of Amy Tan. Tan. So, Playing the triangle or something. I don't know what she does. They are weird. They're, it's a weird thing. So, like, I think it's... What do they do? It Like, one, one week a year, they're rock stars. Artist access only, laminate wearing, security escorting rock stars with roadies and groupies. Uh, then they have, yeah, they've got four ringers, a drummer, a saxophonist, a harmonica, and a vocalist. And so they basically all play bass and guitar, right? <laughs> so just, what is King playing? He, I think, plays guitar. Uh, and they, oh, Mitch Album has been a, a group. Greg Eilis has been in the group. James McBride has been in the group, Ridley Pearson, Scott Turow. I mean... Scott Turow, yeah. Yeah. Right it's a ton of... And I think they have a rotating right, they do. thing. They're like, we're going to play at whatever book conference they're going to be at. They're like, if you can fucking play an instrument or you want to yodel into a microphone, fucking come the hell on up and join us. And it's the best. So, uh, yeah, so he's into music. He's very into music. Okay. Um, I think... Well, that makes sense considering Christine and one, the, just yes. the number of times that lyrics are printed into his books. Yes. Lyrics are often the... Um, what are they called? Epigrams? Of his books? So, yeah. And uh, I think it would be actually cool if he would release playlists to each of his albums. Oh, each of his books, you mean? Oh, yeah, each of his. Sorry, right. yes, each of yes, each of his books. Um, but he does sometimes talk about what he's listening to in the dear 
reader, uh-huh. constant reader letters that he'll put in some of his books. He'll talk about the music that he was listening to when right. he was writing uh, or, you know, during the writing of the book. Because a lot of times you'll also see um, start where where he was when he started and where he was when he ended it. Now a lot of times it's like Banger, uh, wherever in Florida he lives, or Banger, Banger. Mm. <laughs> it took a whole year and he was there the whole time. Uh, or, you know, he started and stopped it at the same place. Uh, but, yeah, no, rock that up. So music is his jam, and I think he had a lot of input. He got to pick what he wanted, and I think that might be where well, much so the of the $10 million dollars was. Soundtrack is ACDC. ACDC, right. yeah. Which... We were watching it with our roommate, and she was like, do you think that ACDC just w- did all of the music, too, and they just got the dailies, and then just right. at the end of the day just coked out separately from the, <laughs> the coked out people on set would just make music for what they were w- witnessing? That sounds fun. <laughs> and I'm like, it does sound fun. And also plausible. I don't right. know. <laughs> Given the quality of the film, I imagine yeah. it would be. So, so that's it for that. Uh, yes. We and addressed. next week, for something completely different, <laughs> we'll be watching Stand By Me. I've never heard of it. What's it like? Based on The Body, the novella The Body from Four Seasons. I knew that without even looking it up, so check me out. Uh, starring a now past River Phoenix, the second of our... Gone too young, right? Men in, in Stephen King movies. Uh, so we'll be watching that. If you have Dish, it's on demand, y'all. Okay. So Good. there's that. And in the meantime, would you like to recommend something that's not Maximum Overdrive? Okay. Or I don't know, you could recommend Maximum Overdrive if you want. I'd wanted recommend to. Um, watching Killdozer or Duel or other movies about frightening automobiles. Christine. Christine was good. Which are much better than this. Um, Killdozer, God, I hadn't thought of that one in a long time. Well, you thought about it right now. Right now. Well, That's a it's... terrible title, and I hate it. But... Well, Killdozer was a great nope. film when I was the, like The eight. movie might be fine. Mm-hmm. I do not like the title. That is what I And saying. come to think of it, it was the same plot. A meteorite, in this case, lands on an island where people are doing construction, and somehow there's an alien on the meteorite that makes a a bulldozer come to life and attack a construction crew. I mean, yeah. It's effectively it's the exact same thing. It's going to turn a bulldozer into a killdozer. And there's a bulldozer in this film as well. There is. Um, but uh, I saw two movies, and I will recommend the harder one <laughs> and leave you with the easier one uh, this weekend with you. Um, All right. And that was Midsummer. Oh, you are going to recommend Midsummer. I'm going to recommend that people watch it because I really just want their opinion. Um... I don't know what to make of the movie as a whole. I've seen two films by this director now. So this is a film by Ari Aster, who made uh, Hereditary, Hereditary. which came out 2017, I think. Yeah. Which is a a film about grief, as is this one, Mm -hmm. and also is very fucked up. Well, it takes a, as I said, I really feel that... It's a movie that I deeply love, right. never want to see again, and cannot recommend to Oscar other people. is really also influenced by the same things that I saw. I felt like that film, and discussing it with a friend, had a real relationship with Rosemary's Baby. And without giving too much away, because that film is still... It's worth watching if you can take it. It's another film that... 
and we've discussed this horror films that are so unpleasant that you can't really watch it a second time, or you have to give yourself some distance. Yeah. Because it's involving... There's a particular thing that happens right. in Hereditary that I have not been up to seeing again. Yeah. <laughs> Just not there. I've seen it twice now, and once in the theater with a really baffled audience. And another time on my own, and I liked it better that way because the the person sitting next to me in the theater was sort of just freaked out and confused the entire time the film was on. Oh, not it wasn't me. No, no, it wasn't. Okay, it was one of our mutual friends who okay. just like at the I end mean, of the movie I was like, was... "What the hell was that about?" Oh, yeah. Okay. And so the it's like I was a little distracted at the time by them just sort of freaking out, and, and then me on the other side right. of you just going. No, 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 Yelling, is it over yet? Is it over yet? <laughs> I had a woman run repeatedly out of the theater right. when I was watching one of the Paranormal Activity movies. The second one, maybe? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. She such, was yeah. sitting on the right side of the theater. Or, like, if I'm sitting watching the movie, she's on my right. Mm-hmm. The door's on my left. And she ran down the aisle and out in front of me six times. I was yeah. like, bitch. Stop coming back and in see, here. What are you doing? This was a real contrast because the same week we have seen um, The Conjuring, one of the... Annabelle comes Annabelle, home. Which was actually a fun horror movie. It was. It was a fun horror movie. It's uh, The characters are compelling. Everything that's wrong with... Um, probably Maximum Overdrive is right with this one. You like the characters. You yes. want them to do well. Yep. The center is a really smart little girl. Yep. The Warren's daughter... And the the gags that they pull, the actual spooks in this film, are genuinely creepy. Yep. Yep. There's a bit with a television set that works really, really well. well. Like, oh, wow, it works real well. That was really good. And it was. I remember pointing out to you, having watching people just leave. What what's people's limit in terms of horror movies? In watching Midsummer, we're sitting in the middle of a packed house, pretty much. It was pretty pretty packed. I was and surprised listening to the groans of people around us because there are points in the film that are really, really, really violent. Um, And the director never pulls away from it. He doesn't have the gift of turning the camera away. We're treated to close-ups of mutilated bodies and things like that. Yeah, I closed my eyes Uh, a couple of times because I knew he was going to go back in and show something even worse than what I would just seen. And I was like, nope, I'm just going to give him a minute. What I have to commend him on, I don't think he's there yet uh, in terms of bringing a movie all the way from beginning to end. What I have to commend him on is that he spends a lot of time setting up characters. He does. And this was an improvement over Hereditary in that that film felt like it took too many turns to make sense at times. Like, by the end of it, I'm going... There was a lot. There's. It's just like... He was, this he was, was putting a lot right. in that first movie. This is and two it or was three long, separate movies. But, yeah. And this film was also very long. Yeah, it was two and a half hours long. But he spent a lot of time developing these characters, which... In your case, you felt was I did. He he's he, didn't have the payoff that you for the second time in a row. He loses me at, at about five minutes from the right. end. And in this case, I felt this is a mild spoiler. So if you don't want to hear anything about mm-hmm. Midsummer, skip ahead about forty five seconds. I felt that he had spent 
two hours and 20 minutes really giving me an excellent portrait of who this woman, the starring protagonist is, uh, really in depth and, and acted very well. Uh And then the last five minutes, she makes a decision that derails everything we've done for the first two hours and 20 minutes, which was deeply upsetting to me. I was just like, well, then why did you build such a good character for her to just ignore everything that you think you know about me? Well, then why do I know anything about you? I don't, I didn't appreciate it. So I had a problem with a final decision. Uh Uh, That's my problem is I'm not saying he shouldn't have done it, but I had an issue with it. I didn't think it rang true to the character that that he had showed me over Hereditary is that he created a couple of likable characters, which he really didn't get out of Hereditary. People no. in that film were evasive and they were horrible to each other. Uh, well, the difference, I think, um, both of these movies uh, deal deeply with grief. Like, uh-huh. thematically, that is right. the theme of both of these films. But in the first movie, everyone that we have, or, or that we see, mm-hmm. is dealing with grief. Right. And in this movie, one of the four to six main characters, only one of them is in the grief. So it 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 gives you some breathing room from it. It's well, not also, so oppressive. The second this second film has also what hereditary lack, which is a sense of humor. Yes, I think that's and right. And that works a lot better. That I think that it, he was afraid to do uh, it. That's hard to do. It's hard to make a horror movie that has humor in it right. without going full horror comedy which yeah. is very difficult which to do. Which is what Maximum Overdrive was trying to do. There yes. were too many jokes it's in the middle of this. It's yeah. extraordinarily difficult. I think one thing has worked. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I couldn't even name well, it. Here we go. The Frighteners. Yes. There you go. There's one that worked. Mm-hmm. That there was a, a really good amount of tongue-in-cheek humor. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of... And that doesn't mean that all of it works. There was a lot of gags, though. So Agreed. if two yeah. went wrong, five went right. You know, so... Yeah. Um, but I do think Midsummer is worth watching. Right. I would say if you're sensitive, wait until it comes out and you can watch it at your own pace in yeah. your house because it is two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. And so it can be emotionally exhausting. Right, it can be. I was, I was touched, I would say, by the lead actress's performance of grief uh-huh. when she's crying like, I can't even imagine what it must have been like for her to do it. But I was like, oh, this is what it's like when you're experiencing these emotions. Yeah. The sounds that she's making and that we stay with her for a, a goodly amount of time. What like I started crying because I was just like, right. that's I know what yeah, that feeling is. the performances are really good. That, and again, maybe I'll recommend two things. If you're in the mood for a fun horror movie... Oh, yeah. Uh, Annabelle. Annabelle. Annabelle uh, comes home. You don't need to have seen any of the other Annabelle movies. Although, I do enjoy those, too. This is probably my favorite of them, though. It's fun. It's as fun and as fast-moving as a really good episode of Twilight Zone and has as many really effective, creepy moments. There's some great ones in here. Yeah. And I have to, and the, the actors, the actors are really compelling. Oh, the, really the good. The child actress who's, you know, who, who plays... McKenna Grace is her name. And she's wonderful. She reminds me of Millie Bobby Brown's ability to be a very grave, or Christina yes. Ricci reaches back into that... Serious face very serious, in a small child. child. So that when she believes that you're in danger, you really believe, oh, everything has gone to hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's about an eminently creepy situation, the haunted yes. basement. 
So if you're in the mood also, for something... Also, guys, just so you know, uh-huh. the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll. But the owners of Raggedy Ann were like, hell to the no, you cannot make it a Raggedy Ann doll. So right. they made it this really creepy uh-huh. wooden doll. But there is a cameo right. by Raggedy there's Ann. Very, so look out funny tip for the that cameo. Towards the actual Annabelle. But, um, but yeah, if you're looking for something fun, uh, if you're looking for a very serious kind of film that develops a character, it really would be Midsummer. Yeah. No, um, it's good. But, yeah, if you have some sensitivities or have recently lost uh, right. someone, watch it in, with your own home where you can you can take it yeah. and walk away from it if you need to because it's a it's a it's a deep experience and it is long <laughs> it is uh, I, I really i feel like it's going to be a different generation's version of uh, the wicker man which yeah, is a film I, I love yeah i can see that although it's different enough that i don't think it overtakes it in any right. way oh yeah. and we're we're talking about the original Wicker Man. Christopher, oh, yes. Christopher Lee Christopher Wicker Lee Man. Please don't watch Edward the Nicolas Cage movie. Which is not Please don't. It. He. It's just an excuse to watch Nicolas Cage punch young women. Don't do it. It's bad. It's terrible, and there's a good one out there. Yes, so please don't watch it. The original Wicker Man is often called the Citizen Kane of horror movies, mostly because it isn't really a horror movie. No. It's a very crafty whodunit. That keeps with weirdness. With really weirdness, it's it's, it's a really weird. good movie though. So I recommend that too. But anyhow, what would you? Oh, am I going to take the easy way out? I don't Is know. That what you want from me? I I, I I'm just. I awful. mean, it made all of the money. I know. So but y'all still, have seen it. It's worth it. Watch the Spider-Man Far From Home movie. It's so good. Tom Holland is a treasure and a love, and I oh, I love it so much. I want to say some spoiler things, but I'm not going to. It's uh, not what you think it is. I did not expect right. it to do what it did. Uh, although it does share some similarities with some other things in the MCU. Uh, you, you'll know when you see it. Uh, but, yeah, no, Tom Holland's great. I really love his version of Spider-Man. And it might just be that I love Tom Holland because I'm pretty sure he's playing himself. Uh, I, Jake Gyllenhaal, you even like Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's not your favorite. Yeah, right. I think um, you're liking him better now. I, I think you feel that way about the Ryan's too. So, well, I, I think it's just sort of like taking a quirky actor and, and forcing them to be a leading man always comes across as weird because I he, don't consider him a quirky well, actor. He, what did you see him in first? Uh, Donnie Darko. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, but that's not even really a quirk. He's that's a dramatic. When you performance. see him do something like uh, Have Velvet you seen Buzzsaw, Mile? oh yeah, Velvet Buzzsaw. Or you he see was... a Nightcrawler where he's yeah, really good. And he it's like, can be. He can do yeah. this. Why are you doing this thing that any you know guy who lifts weights and for the dollars? He was also uh, Bubble Boy, so that's the thing. Uh, yeah, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. I've always liked Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't always like the movies that he's in, I but I do like him. Like of Jake Gyllenhaal. I like his sister too. Right. She's weird looking, but I like her. Oh, I. Uh, what was the film she did with um, with Emma Thompson? Uh, and I, I have literally no idea. I really <laughs> like her in that film, Stranger Than Fiction. Oh, she was in that. Yes. I love Stranger Than Fiction. He gets her flowers. Little did he, he know. He buys her flowers. Right. It's my favorite Will Ferrell movie, too, right. because usually I want Will Ferrell in 10-minute chunks. I can't take Will Ferrell for longer than 10 right. minutes. I've never seen Anchorman. I've never seen any of those movies because mm-hmm. it's 
him doing a bit for two hours, and I can't handle it. But in this movie, he was a person, and I loved him. Right. So that's that's my Will Ferrell minute. I don't like him for more than ten. But, yes, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah, it was, and I grew up with Spider-Man. And I grew up with that character, so I saw And I understand, y'all, everybody Uh is tired of Spider-Man. We get it. But I like what they've done with this reboot. Uh, I like, I'm excited to see where they're going to take this character, Mm -hmm. because he's going into the next phase as we leave, you know, Iron Man and Thor. Um and, or, well, yeah, we're leaving yeah, yeah, Captain America. The whole, you know, you guys know. MCU's moving on. <laughs> but they're taking him with them, and I'm excited about it. Uh, there are some cool after-credit things that happen. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the movie. Plus, it was, it came in at a cool, there's fireworks, guys. Yeah. Because it's. A week after a holiday, so why wouldn't there be oh fireworks? My God. Yes, just so that you know, this was the scariest neighborhood to be in. I'm never staying here on the 4th of July ever again. That was crazy. There were six hours of nonstop explosions. Now, these are fireworks and rifles and everything else, rockets. It was and, terrible. Right. It was kind of... It, it was, was the yeah. fucking worst. Yeah, it was really I hated it so much. Bizarre. I had never been never here. Never again. I'm, I'm, I've already started mm. planning where I will be. And it won't be here next year. I have never um, been in it here in the 35 years I've lived in this neighborhood. I have never seen it that bad. Uh, this I'm was never, a I'm new never height it again. of wildness. Never again. And last year we were out. We were in Reno. Mm-hmm. So Reno's th- probably maybe I do safer, that again. Isn't it? Maybe we do that again. Uh, so what was I saying? Oh, uh, oh yes, because also next year it's on a weekend. It's going to be worse. Um, <laughs> uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man. Zendaya. Zendaya is so good. Right. I, I mean, like he, how they dealt with the right. uh, the ramifications of the previous MCU things. Right. I don't want to get too into it if you're behind. I don't know. I don't know how you watch your MCU it movies. It was a very sweet movie. It's very it's good. It's very, oh, that's what I was going to say. Right. It comes in at two hours and ten minutes, <laughs> which is short for one of these movies. So it, was, it was fine. Right. It was good. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed it, was, it. It really felt like I was watching teenagers being teenagers. Yes. It didn't feel... Even though they're all in their 20s, but whatever. Well, I mean, I, uh, uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, I felt like I was watching 30-year-olds dressed yeah, as a Yeah, that feels right, because <laughs> you were. Um, so here's a college graduate dressed as a high, you know, a yeah. sophomore in high school. Yeah. Um, and so that, that didn't... No, Tom Holland has a an abashedness uh-huh. that belies a age younger than he actually uh-huh. is. Um. Yeah, I, know. I really I like him a lot. Well, and that, but he really captures what, in some ways, what made Spider Man so. What makes him an icon? I think it's just the fact that he's a kid and he keeps tripping over his own feet. Yeah. One of the things that Stan Lee felt really sold Spider Man in one of the early comic strips or comic books is after a fight he has to sew his own costume back together. Yeah. And so you see him sitting on the edge of his bed poking his finger out because he's right. trying to right. sew his mask back together because somebody punched it and it came, you know, came apart. Yeah. It came apart. And so there was such an everyday plainness to like the yeah. kind of things he had to deal with. He was getting bullied in school. He's a nerd. Yeah. The girls don't want to date him. It's like all of that. And Tom Holland captures that 
incredibly awkward, brainy kid who's always tripping over himself. Uh, yeah, and you believe it. You're and like, oh, yeah. so did Andrew Garfield sort of captured that. I too. actually really liked Andrew yeah. Garfield. People did not like those movies. I thought Andrew Garfield he brought something good, good right. to it. Um, the other thing that I will say is, if you have Netflix and you have not seen it, a mm. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, right. do yourself a favor yeah. and watch this movie. And I mean watch the movie. I mean, I don't mean take a small screen to uh, dilute your big screen experience. Focus on the movie. It's gorgeous. You're going to want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good, and it's on Netflix now. So if you can't get to the theater to watch Spider-Man, right. get to Netflix to watch Spider-Man, because it's um, that's an amazing movie. Yeah, it is. <gasps> so many Spider-Men. <laughs> Which is the plot of that movie. Yes, true. So that's going to do it for us this week. So next week, we're mm-hmm. watching... Stand by me. Which I think is going to be a better film. Than I'm excited about Overdrive, it. Right? I don't think I've seen it since I was a little kid. Like probably too young. Probably like nine. So that's too young. But I'm older now. Right. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns. If you want to tell me. What did I ask about? Oh. What is cocaine like? Well, oh yes. Cocaine. What's the movie you'd make on cocaine? Uh... You can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. We have a group. I'm going to start posting some stuff in there because I've got pictures of things starting tomorrow. Uh, and you can find us by find, by looking for the Latecomers Podcast in Facebook in the little search bar. We're there. And I think that's everything. Yep, it's everything. If nope, I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you better late than never. Dun dun dun, Queen Giant.